Hey, Redeem family, and thanks for joining us on our Redeem online message. You are in Meg and I's uh, living room today as we start week two of our series, The Best Version of You. And to begin this sermon, I want you to think about the first time that you ever went to the ocean. Now, for many of you, you grew up here, so it might be kind of hard because you've probably been going since you've been a baby. But for me, I was actually in high school the first time that I ever went to the ocean because I'm a Midwest boy and that's just something that you don't normally do is go to the ocean. So I was in high school and I vividly remember experiencing the ocean for the first time. And there were a couple of things that were like the first thing was this distinct smell. When you first kind of enter into close to the ocean, you just smell the sea salt and you just feel the wind and you hear the sea seagulls and you're annoyed by the seagulls by the end of the trip. I don't know who loves seagulls. If you are a seagull fan, I apologize, but I do not like the seagulls. But you smell the sea salt as you're coming in. And the second one is as you get into the water, it's a sensation like no other, swimming in the ocean for the first time. You got the power of the waves, you got the buoyancy as you got the sea salt, and you also have this experience where you realize that you have somehow have hundreds of little cuts throughout your body as the sea salt burns and you're like, where did that cut even come from? But the most amazing thing about the ocean is you realize how powerful this little thing called salt is. And so today, we are actually going to look at this passage that you probably have experienced or heard maybe even a hundred times. You probably learned it at Sunday school as your parents were dragging you to church and you were listening to this, this, this talk about being salt and light. But I want us to really dig in deep to this important passage because this passage is so important to our walk in faith as individuals and as a church, being salt and light. And so as we look at this, I don't want you to think of it as just simple passages. I want us to go deep and to really think about how this affects our everyday life, how this call to be the best version of you really affects your everyday life. Now, this is a quick plug. I'm so excited that I am preaching this on Sunday, this Sunday, August 8th, at Church in the Park. We're doing a Church in the Park plus cookout. If you're watching this Sunday morning, it's not too late to join us, 11 a.m. at Fort Silicon Park. But the reason I'm excited that I'm preaching this in person at a park is because this is so important for us to understand outside of our four walls outside of our four walls. It's so important for us to realize that salt and light is really only as effective when it's outside the container. If we keep it in the container, then it actually isn't as effective as God planned it to be. There's a purpose for salt and light, and there's a purpose for us as the church as well. And so as we enter into week two, the best version of you, I want you to be thinking about, like we talked about last week, if you missed it, on the Beatitudes, about us being this citizen of heaven, these kingdom people, and what that means as Jesus talks on the Sermon on the Mount. Over the next couple weeks, like I said last week, we're going to go through some of the Sermon on the Mount and really look at what is this to be kingdom people, citizens of heaven, living the best version of you, the best version of me, the best version of us as Redeemed Church. And so there's some important concepts that we're going to be pulling up. But last week, 
we talked about the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, of course, are this blessed are the blank, right? Blessed are the blank. And we talked about thinking of it from citizens of heaven and kingdom people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, are those who live with meekness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful, pure in heart. Those who are peacemakers. And, and those who also are persecuted on behalf of Jesus. And we looked at how this is not just a call to the best version of you, but it's Jesus starting this kingdom, saying the kingdom is near, the kingdom of heaven is near, and we are to come under his rule. And so as we look at this kingdom people, we are called to live this way. We are called to live out the fullness of being a citizen of heaven. And it's this call of this new and radical way of living. And we talked about this, this new and radical way of living where we are to carry out the mission and we, are not, we may not physically see it, but the Lord blesses us and says that we will have a blessing. Even if we don't see it physically, that there is a blessing whenever we live out these principles. So with that hat in mind, being kingdom people, we're going to look at just four verses today and we are going to go deep and starting in Matthew 5, 13. So let's start there. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, two main questions that came to me when I was reading this. One, what does it mean to be salty? And two, in today's world, how might we lose this saltiness? How might we lose this saltiness? The first, and again, I want to say that this is a positioning for us in the conversation of the kingdom of God, that we are to fall under his rule and that we are really at this positioning. As kingdom people, we are salt. That's who we are. And we live as salt. And so, you know, this, you probably heard this a, a bunch of times, but there's two different purposes for salt, right? Number, and I'm actually going to bring up a third, but number one is flavor. Number two is to preserve something. And number three is, of course, for killing leeches. The most important. I grew up in a place, I don't know if you grew up in a place with leeches, but for me, we had leeches. And so for me, we would go down to the swimming hole and my mom brought swimming towels, swimming toys, and a can of Morton salt so that when those leeches and those little alien bugs came on you, they pour some salt on them, they were gone like that. So it's an important thing and probably maybe the most important. But let's look at the first two. Yes, flavor is one of them. It would have, for the first century Jews, they would have thought of salt in these two ways. And flavor would have been one of them, but they would not have had stores where everything was salted. And they wouldn't have thought of salt like we do of, what's this gonna do to my blood pressure, right? They don't turn around and look at the nutritional facts and say, what is this gonna do for my blood pressure? So we look at the second one, which was so important. In the first century, they would have been thinking about how it preserves things. Now, a quick science lesson. I am not a science uh, major by any means, but when we look at preserving it, let's look at meat, right? Everyone knows that. Salt basically inhi inhibits the bacteria from growing. So it keeps things like mold and microbes from growing and ruining food. It keeps it from spoiling so that we can eat it, right? So they would have done this primarily with fish, right? And so we keep this in mind that we are called 
to be salt of the earth. This means that we go out and be salt. We do what salt does, right? We're called to be salt in the world. Salt in the world. So in a way, us as kingdom people, the church is not just meant to be salt sitting on a shelf, right? It's meant to be going out into the world. And so the world, Jesus tells us, uh, is it's the broken and the hurting, those who don't know him, right? Who have bacteria of not recognizing their own sin and their fallen nature, and those who Satan is trying to accelerate those microbes from growing inside because he wants comes to destroy. And we are to be salt. We are to be salt to the earth. We as the church, the goodness of the church, right? Our saltiness is to be a place that fights the decay in a broken world. We are to be the people who fight the decay in the broken world. But the only way that salt works is if salt interacts with that which decays. The salt interacts with that which decays. When the church, us, me and you, redeemed church, the global church, the body of Christ is functioning at its best, it becomes a preserving factor for goodness. It becomes a preserving factor for goodness. This is the reality that until Jesus comes back, there will be decay, there will be darkness, and because of sin, Satan is trying to mess it all up, right? Can you feel that? Satan's trying to mess it all up. But at our best, we become this outpost, this outpost for the kingdom, where when we take our mantle as kingdom people, when we take our mantle as kingdom people for those suffering and those hurting and those broken by sin, it, and we come under it, we find ourselves being healing, being salt that preserves people in a world that's broken and dark. And when salt, and enough salt, and like it says here, good salt goes into something that is decaying, the decay stops. That's the thing, is that when salt goes into something like meat, it stops the decay. And so when we are good salt, and we're enough salt, that we can actually stop the decay. But there's this warning, and it says that if salt loses its saltiness. And so I was thinking about this, and that was the second question, right? I was thinking, what in today's world might it look like to lose our saltiness? And what are some of the things that are a challenge for us? And so one of the main dangers that Christians can face in today's world is assimilation into the culture. Assimilation into the culture. And we're going to look at a couple ways that that is. And so the first one is us going and looking and smelling like the culture. And there's a couple things that I thought of, of some challenges that we have to not look like the culture. And so number one is being so consumed by culture that we go on and live our lives and sprinkle just a little bit of Jesus into it, right? That's one of the main problems that we face as probably American Christians, is going and living in the culture and sprinkling just a little bit of Jesus in it. There's so much noise in our lives right now. Culture used to be thought of, when I was growing up, as like this thing out there and you work so hard to keep it from coming in here. But now it's knocking at our doors, right? It's knocking on our pockets with our phones, right? 
it's knocking in, 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 in this idea that this information overload and that the people are coming into our lives and, and, and that there's busy schedules and that we're kind of having a hard time really keeping it outside of our own homes. And so culture can begin to infiltrate us, right? And so we, here are just a few things that I was thinking about as we were thinking about keeping ourselves salty. Number one, our willingness to mature as believers. Our willingness to mature as believers. One of the greatest threats to the church is what many experts are calling this discipleship crisis. We find ourselves in a discipleship crisis. We have created this easy entry, come and consume mentality of our faith. So we, what we don't see is at scale, people maturing. This, this thing where we see a ton of mature disciples. And so as new people come in, they can look and see and catch and be taught what is happening, what it means to be a mature disciple in Christ. People aren't just sticking with their faith. We see this, right? We're going out amongst the culture. Like I always say, we're bringing a knife to the gunfight and not knowing what it means to be salt and light and just becoming overwhelmed by culture. So it doesn't mean that we don't come to church, but it means that we slip into our old ways of, of thinking and our, all, our old ways of behaving. We might let greed or gossip or, or uh, quarreling or, or arguing or anger or holding resentment come into our lives and we don't grow and we don't get renewed continually, right? Paul tells us to the Corinthians, this isn't a new thing, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3. It says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not re yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul is saying this to the church in Corinth. He's saying, hey, I have to give you milk. I can't even give you solid food because you're not maturing. Why? Because you're still acting worldly. You're still falling into these traps that the world is trying to pull you into. And the crisis then comes on the back end, right? And that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to get honest and go deep in discipleship because we're not having enough people growing to then growing in saltiness to then impact the new people that come into our church. So we're not really growing discipleships. Disciples. So I want to challenge you, to all of you, because it's not the church's responsibility, but it's each one of us to mature as believers. Number two, we can allow unchecked sin into our lives. Unchecked sin into our lives. Sometimes we lose our saltiness, right? Because of unrepentant or habitual sins that we allow to literally infect us. Infect us on the inside, right? We choose not to live with that repentant heart. Accepting the forgiveness that Jesus gave us, of course, but also turning from our sin. Turning from our sin and not and going and living as salt into the world. We think of the big sins here, right? You can all think of the big sins here. But there's a ton of little sins as well. That is habitual sins in our church and our lives that keep us and make us lose our saltiness. You know, we, we think about like things like gossip and greed and anger. Of course, coveting and lust. And really thinking of all the sins that keep us from being pure. And we talked about this last week, right? We talked about this in the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
they will see God. That's the promise. Like we talked about yet last week, this is a heart that is clean of sin. That is clean of sin. This acknowledgement of our sinful condition and getting our hearts and right minds right continually so that we can be salt and life, so that we can live on purpose that Jesus wants us to. Point number three, letting the noise that is louder than our study of the word, prayer, and sound biblical teaching come into our lives. This is a huge one for today's world and is a huge one for each one of us. As we look at saltiness, all of us be, must be led by getting into the word, prayer, and sound mentorship and biblical teaching, not just a ton of noise that we hear. We have to take everything that we hear and say, does this make me saltier? Does this, is this the path that God wants me on? Is this my thinking that he desires for me to ultimately impact my family, my friends, and my neighbors? We have so much content and noise. This is hard. In today's culture, and even some of this Christian culture, we can fill our minds up with so many things that we don't even know how to go and live as salty people. And if we are supposed to be citizens of heaven and kingdom people, this is so important. And number four, a lack of community and commitment. A lack of community and commitment. Jesus is talking to his disciples who would have uh, th thought through this in community, right? The faith is all community. Throughout the New Testament, it's thinking about community. We often put our individual hat on, right? Oh, I need to be salty. This is individually. I have to figure it out and I have to live differently. But if we commit to community, it's all of us holding each other accountable, building each other up as mature, as mature believers, uh, uh, sitting with each other and asking those hard questions on our lives that we begin to keep our saltiness, right? And so the New Testament is all about us being in community. And we have a church culture as an American church that is so far from this. You know, a lot of blogs I read, they say that 70% uh, of people in a church being in community is success. 70% of people. But in the, in the New Testament, it would have been 100%. It would have been 100%. You could not be as part of redeemed church if you were not in community, in community, and that it means uh, meeting together and being together regularly. Now, there's a, a new study that they, they did, and I think I've shared this one before, but it used to be like 20 years ago that a committed Christian went to church twice a month. Now, it's a committed Christian in America is considered going to church once a month. That's not enough to keep our saltiness. Again, this isn't a come to church. This is not to make you feel guilty, but this is to say if you are not in committed community, then you're going to lose some of your saltiness. And so it's so important for us to, to really think about that. Now, as we look at the second risk, risk of assimilation, I want, to, I want to share this, that we can oftentimes look at our Christian faith through the lens of culture, right? We can look at our Christian faith through the lens of culture. One of the driving factors that we live under is consumerism right? We think about Apple or we think about Target or we think about Walmart and we think about what are they doing for us? How is my user experience? How am I getting what I want? And so I come from this marketing world and there's a couple tried and true sayings, right? The power of the mighty dollar that the dollar never lies. And number two, that the customer is always right. Now, we can approach churches and we can approach Christian community through the lens of 
Target or Apple or, or, or Walmart where we say, what is it in, what is it for me? And so there's a couple things, right? That we're getting this message all the time of, you gotta live a life of comfort. You deserve this, right? Uh, that there's this magic pill or system that will figure everything out. And so many of us approach the church through this lens. Oh, we didn't like the music. It was too loud. Or we didn't like the songs that it was selected. Or we didn't like the building. Or I could find a better preacher online that fits my kind of desire and what I like. Or it's easier just to watch from home than to go into church. Or this idea of, I don't really feel like going to life group. Or I don't really feel like going into this discipleship program because it seems like a lot of work. And so we can have this consumer mindset where this culture is saying these things to us and then we infiltrate it into the church and how we act as a church. We can be so consumed by culture and listen to these messages all day that we just bring that into the church. But we see this. We are to be salt together, keeping each other salty. What if that was one of our goals as a church? Rather than bringing culture into the church, what if it was to make each other salty, right? And I want everyone to hear this, that the church is not here just to pass information along. The church is not here to pass information along. You know, as I was looking at this, I found this thing called Bloom's Level of Learning. And so I called a couple of teachers. I said, hey, is this, is this legit or is this real? And they said, yeah, this is, this is very important. That This is how we, we live, learn. And so there's a pyramid. So it's kind of think of this pyramid. And at the bottom, it's the lowest level of learning, right? And so they call this, the bottom level is called remembering. Remembering. Recalling relevant knowledge for, from long-term memory. So basically, taking in knowledge and putting it into long-term memory. And then the second one is understanding. Making sense of the materials that you learned. So making sense of the materials that you learned. And then comes the important one. And this is what it means to be salt. Applying and making use of the knowledge gained in new ways. So making use of the knowledge that's gained in new ways. Applying what we learn. This is the job of the church. It's not just taught, but it's caught as well. And so as we mature as believers, as we keep our saltiness, it's us looking to older, the older generation and us, and us as the older generation teaching the younger generation, this is what it means to be salt and light where the community is coming together and setting the example. We're working together to not lose our saltiness. Now, we're going to go to the second part here, which is Matthew 14 through 16. We're going to look at the other part of this. It says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. As I was thinking about this, I, when I was a kid, it was awesome. I lived on this little cul-de-sac, and there was probably like 15 kids that every night in the summer would come together and play kick the can. Now, I don't know if you know kick the can. There's a variety of names for it, but the idea is you basically take this can, you put some rocks in it, you put it in the center of a location, and then one person's it, and then everyone else goes and plays hide and seek. And then the person who's it has to find people and they have to run and jump over the can and say, I see Jonathan behind the bush before other people come and try to run and kick the can. So that's the whole point of it. 
But the only way that kick the can is really fun is if you can play in almost complete darkness. So the other day I was playing with the boys and some of their friends and we set up kick the can in the middle of this yard and we tried to turn off all the lights and it got pretty dark. I mean, as dark as it can for the Tacoma area, but pretty dark. And so we played kick the can for the first time. Now, in the middle of this kick the can, I didn't realize that Jeremiah, my oldest, had one of those LED flashlights that really <laughs> shine bright. And it made me realize that in this moment that, that light is not something that we even really notice. Light's not something that we even really notice. It's not until it's shown in darkness and the darker, the more the light stands out. And so in darkness, we really notice this. In the darkest spots, we notice it the most. So now there's this narrative throughout the Bible about light. And we are called to be light into this dark world. And so if we go back and we look at this, we start at Isaiah 9-2. And I want us to go back to one of the prophecies of the Messiah. This is a famous passage in Isaiah 9-2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now this is the start of the famous Messiah prophecy. And so we, we skip down to verse 6, and it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is a verse that you all, I'm sure, have heard. But it starts out with saying, People were walking in darkness, and they have seen a great light. Well, who is that light? Of course, it's the Messiah. And so John hits us over the head with this light concept, right? It starts in, in John 1, 9. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus was coming into the world. Of course, that's who the light is. And later in John, in multiple places, Jesus calls himself the light. John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light the light of life. And John 9, 5, it says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So now we understand that Jesus is this light, right? And what's our responsibility to that light? Well, we see in Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, it says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. But rather expose them. We are now called to live as children of light, reflecting Jesus through the whole world. Now there's this law, I'm going science, I'm going deep in science today. Well, there's this thing called the law of reflection. The principle is that a ray of light that is reflected on a smooth surface reflects back at the exact angle and perfectly uh, reflects that thing or the ray of light that came in. Now, the, the, the truth is, is that uneven surfaces is what you would think, right? It disperses the light and it makes it look weird, right? So light as a perfect smooth surface comes back and reflects but uneven surfaces, it goes and bounces all over the place. So like Ephesians is telling us that we are to have that smooth 
reflection, that we are to reflect that light through goodness, righteousness, and truth. Through goodness, righteousness, and truth. That is our job, to now be light on this earth and reflect Jesus, who is the light of the world. Now, just like losing saltiness, it says that we need to not hide our light under a bowl. And like this, it's so important for our community to understand this. And I was just thinking, okay, what are some of the ways that we hide our light? So number one, it's probably the obvious one, but it's shying away from sharing our faith. You know, every study shows that this is a thing that we have completely lost as a church. We've completely lost that church, that most people that attend church have lost their passion or too scared or too afraid or feel too awkward to share their faith. Evangelism is not really happening within the church. And so we might be intimidated or scared or worried about what people say to us, but part of being light in the world is this idea to be willing to witness to those God has put into our lives. Just quite simply, this doesn't mean that you have to be able to stand on a stage. This doesn't mean that you have to be able to give a great sermon. This means that our friends, our family, our coworkers, and our neighbors, are we being light? Are we sharing our faith to them? Are we giving them the opportunity to even receive the light that God has for them? Number two, just as hard, these are not easy, but having tough conversations, shining light into darkness is always going to require tough conversations. This is another area that I've been praying about for me is, and for our church is are we willing to have difficult, uncomfortable situ- uh, conversations with people? And some of those difficult, uncomfortable conversations have to be with people within the church. And so if we are called to be light into darkness, we have to be willing to have uncomfortable, tough conversations with people in our lives. Part of being, this is part of just shining light into darkness, reflecting Jesus in some of the rough places. There's this sin that's happening in people's lives. This is the decay that's coming. And we have to, with grace and truth, be salt and light. That is our calling. This is also not okay in our culture right now. If, if it was always tough, it's going to be tougher. And it's always going to get tougher. But a friend sent me this quote the other day. It said, in a world where you can't please everyone, you might as well be focused on pleasing God. Right? In a world that you can't please everyone, you might as well be focused on pleasing God. And part of that is being salt and light in some of the darkest places and having tough conversations. So, if we're called to be light, and we're going to be a church that's spirit-led, right? That only does what the Father tells them to do, and listens to the Spirit, and here's what we're supposed to do. Then, we have to be part of these loving, yet difficult conversations. I guarantee that God's going to call us into some of these loving and difficult conversations. And we, as a church, must commit to this. And, I want to say it's both ways. That in the church, we're not perfect. And so... As we deliver this, we have to, with grace and truth, with a loving heart, deliver this and be light into darkness. And vice versa, as you receive it, as I receive it, we have to be willing to work on our defensiveness to at least receive these conversations. To, of course, uh, reflect on if it's true, to pray about it, but to at least receive it without defensiveness as we try to get better. And point number three, and I've been thinking about this one a lot, 
what the church, families, and relationships look like in shining light. What does our church, our families, and our relationships look like for those that need light shined on them? And this is one of the hardest things. That again, as shining a light that is reflecting Jesus, we are called to be this city on a hill, right? That you, that you can see from anywhere. But as people, what, the people that are looking at us, what light are they seeing? If our churches and our families and our relationships and how we relate to one another is not living the things of God, not producing the fruits of the Spirit, how can they see light in the perfect light of Jesus Christ? If people are seeing fighting and gossip and greed and sin and people preaching but not practicing, they aren't seeing humility and gentleness like we talked about last week, how can they see the light? Again, it's often not just people seeing Jesus, the perfect light, but it's they have a hard time getting over the people, the kingdom people that are meant to reflect this light. And so as we, 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 as we continue to just have tough conversations as we continue to shine light into the tough places we also need to live as living examples that show the goodness and reflect the father like it tells us so today there's no great takeaway this is important stuff for us to understand though to live the best version of you to live the best version of us to live the best version of me we have to be salt and light fighting hard not to lose our saltiness fighting hard not to put our light under a bowl. We have to build each other up. We have to do this in community. We have to be willing to do the tough things for us to live out our calling of the best version of you and the best version of us as Redeemed Church. So that's my challenge. Go out and be salt and light to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, always praying and saying, Lord, how could I be more salty? Lord, how could I be a greater light for you? Day. So I'm going to pray that over us right now. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this calling that you've given us. Lord, that, that we are just to position ourselves as salt and light. For when opportunities come our way, that we are ready to be salty and to be light that shines in the darkness. Lord, that is our mission. As we desire to be a church that impacts our community, we understand that this is so important for us to come together as a community to mature each other as believers, and to ultimately be salt and light as a body to the people that you have put into our lives. Lord, we reveal in us ways that we can be salt and light to those we love. Lord, lead us as a body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we love you. If you need anything, redeem.church, and we will see you next week.